And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. Staple self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Lon Clark stars as that most famous of all manhunters, Nick Carter, master detective from 1949. Then it's part one of a comedy episode of The Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry from 1942. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? Hey, so I'm wondering, are you a fan of the Mission Impossible film series? Not really. Have you seen any of them? Yeah, I've seen a couple. There's a lot of them. Well, here's the thing. The newest one, which is the sixth installment, is coming out this July. Yeah. Um, with Tom Cruise again. Yeah, I like Tom Cruise. I like, everybody likes Tom Cruise. Yeah. He reprises his role as Ethan Hunt. Here's the thing. He is known for doing all of his own stunts. Yeah. So a few months back, he broke his ankle when he was filming a stunt. For this film, but now um, what he has to do is jump out of a plane at twenty five thousand feet. Would, hmm. you, would you do it? Yeah, for the money that they pay uh, him, I'm sure I It'd would do it, it if they you? paid me that money. Yes. Would you do it for nothing? I'd probably jump out without a parachute for the kind of money they're paying him. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to enjoy as it. Long unfortunately, as somebody after that. had a net down there somewhere. I, you know, and. <laughs> I would take the money. <laughs> well, he does I'd all leave of it them. to my family. Right. They could use it. Yeah. Um, it is admirable, I would say, to do his own stunts. He's 55. So, um, not many actors. He looks good. He, he looks, looks good. great. Yeah. yeah. So the director posted. A lot of people f- mistake me for him. You, I was you know? just thinking you look a I lot know. like when Tom Cruise. When he's walking away and I'm walking away. So if you're about a football field away, we look exactly you alike. You could be the same guy. Mm-hmm. So the director posts on Instagram. He says there's one shot left at 25,000 feet, 200 miles per hour, dusk. There's three minutes of available light, two minutes of action, one chance per day. Go. Go. And he jumps out. Yeah. I, I would could you see do it? I would not. Well, it is admirable that he does his own stunts. I assume not many actors do that, although nobody's ever asked me to do it, but my answer <laughs> would be no. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, why I'm not there. I'll probably see it, though. I mean, you know, I usually see the yeah. movies. Uh, Number six. You can look for July 27th. All right. Thanks, Lisa Wolf. Sure. All right. It's time for Nick Carter, Master Detective. Uh, and that's exactly what he was, a master detective. He took the cases too tough for police. Lon Clark starred as Nick Carter, Master Detective, for the entire run on radio, which was 13 years. We have an episode for you now from September 18, 1949. This is called The Case of the Vanishing Weapon, part one of Nick Carter, Master Detective. New wonderful old Dutch cleanser, the only cleanser made with activated seismotite, invites you to stand by for Nick Carter, Master Detective. Today's Nick Carter adventure starring Lon Clark, The Case of the Vanishing Weapon. 
I, Dorothy, take thee, Wayne, to my lawful wedded husband, to love, honor, and cherish. Wayne, darling, please, let's move back from the edge. High places always frighten me, and... Uh, Wayne, no, don't, Wayne, don't! I, Emily, take thee, Wayne, to my lawful wedded husband, to love, honor, and... Don't keep swimming away from me, Wayne. Help me. You know I can't swim. Please. Now, Nick Carter and the case of the vanishing weapon. Brought to you by new, wonderful old Dutch cleanser. It's 4.20 in the afternoon of an extremely warm day. Driving back to the city, Nick and Patsy meet a car rushing toward them at top speed on the left side of the road. Get over, you idiot. Nick, it's a woman. She's going to hit us. Then she ran right into him Couldn't get out of her way because of that fence But at least we avoided a head-on collision She only struck the back end of the car I wonder if she's hurt Come on, let's see Yeah Nick, she carried off your car right smack into that tree She must have been ill I saw her just before we crashed Slumped over the wheel There she is Oh, Nick, she was thrown to the windshield Yeah She's in pretty bad shape Seems to be conscious, though I can't die can you hear I can't. me? I can't. You're not going to die. You're going to be all right. You'll marry again. You'll kill his next wife. Too. What did you say? For oh, the insurance. I know. I, I found out too late. I can't die. If I do, you do it again. You'll marry again. Again. Oh, please don't think about it now. She's dead. Oh. Nick, she wasn't delirious. She knew what she was saying. Do you think her husband really killed her? I don't know, Patsy. But I'm going to make it my business to find out. It's a short time later. Nick and Patsy are talking with the chief of police of Elm City, the town the dead woman lived in. Well, that's a story, chief. I've given you her exact words. Mm. Well, I've known Kay Bolton since she was a little girl. Well, do you know her husband, too? Sure. He came here from out west someplace, I understand. They've been married long? About a year, I guess. I see. Kay was a widow with a good farm, a little money in the bank. I guess Bolton knowed a good thing when he seen it, and he just swept her right off her feet. Uh, what did her family think about it? She don't have no family except a brother, and he was away at the time. You see, he builds bridges. I see. Hey, Chief, did you notice that the windows in Mrs. Bolton's car were all shut up tight? A day like this, it must have been sweltering in there. Yeah, it would be. Well, Kay had hay fever kind of bad. I heard her say many times she'd rather roast than sneeze her head off from the pollen in the air. Yes, but that's no reason to have the heater on. The, the heater? Yeah. When I examined the wreck, I noticed that the heater was on full blast. And uh, Nick, you said she was slumped over the wheel as though she were unconscious just before the collision. Yeah. Maybe she passed out from the heat. Now, that don't make sense, Miss Bowen. If it was that bad, seems like even Kay would stop and cool off. Hay fever, no. I'd think she would. But suppose she were unconscious from carbon monoxide fumes or something. Huh? You mean Bolton might have done something to the exhaust pipe so them fumes go inside? Maybe. But she wasn't unconscious when you got to her? No. The shock of the wreck could have snapped her out of it. Well... Look, Chief, suppose we don't say anything about our suspicions until after we talk to her husband. Yeah. Yeah, and let him think he's put it over on us, huh? And I'll have the autopsy performed as soon as we get back to town. Yeah, but you'll need the husband's permission, won't you? And he'll never give it if he's guilty. You've got something there, Miss Bowen. Well, nevertheless, let's try it anyway. Maybe we can learn something from his reaction when we suggest that autopsy. 
And not upset, nothing doing. Kay's suffered enough already. Just a minute, Bolton. Kay was my sister as well as your wife. If the chief thinks an autopsy would serve any useful purpose, I'm in favor of but it. But what useful purpose? An autopsy would show whether there was anything in her system that would make her unconscious. What difference does it make? She's dead. Autopsy won't bring her back. Did she have any insurance, Mr. Bolton? I... Yes, we had a joint policy for $20,000 payable to the survivor. And this farm, who gets that? Well, I... I don't know. We never discussed it. Well, you get it, Bolton. Huh? Kay wrote me she'd made a new will after she married you, leaving you everything. I didn't know. Well, there won't be any autopsy, and that's final. As Kay's brother, I have something to say about that. And if there's any suspicion that her death wasn't accidental... You have any reason to think that, Mr. McEwen? Well, why else would you want an autopsy? Why would you want to know who benefits by her death? If there's any doubt, I want it cleared up. And you should too, Bolton. Well, I... I do, Mac, of course, but... Well, then just sign this paper, giving your consent. I... I... Very well. Give it here. Here you are. Mr. Bolton, I, I don't like to butt in, but I can't find the housekeeper. Well, no she place. went to her room, Sam. She's all upset. Oh. Well, Mr. Mack, that five gallons of ice cream Mr. Bolton got for the party tomorrow, she didn't put in the deep freeze and it's all melted. I was uh, wondering... Throw it out. Do anything you want with it. Only get out of here and go back to your work. Oh, yes, sir. Who's that, Chief? That's Sam Webb, the hired hand. Hmm. Hey, what you doing here, Chief? Ain't nothing wrong, is there? Yes, Sam. It's Mrs. Bolton. She's dead. No. Wrecked the car, did she? What makes you think that? Huh? Why, uh, just the first thing that popped into my head, I guess. Besides, I, I thought she wasn't in no condition to drive when she came out to the barn and drove off. What? You mean she was ill? Oh, no, ma'am. She was mad. Blazing mad, if you ask me. Folks can't keep their mind on their driving when they're like that. What were you doing in the barn? I thought I told you to mend that fence at the bottom of the West Pasture. Well, I I finished up early, Mr. Bolton. So I, I thought I'd clean out the stalls and, and do some repairing. I, I was there when you come in. Sam, did Mrs. Bolton tell you what she was angry about? No, sir, but she was good and mad. Oh, it wasn't anything, Mr. Carter. Uh, Bolton was late getting back with the car, and Kay had an appointment in Elm City. She was mad because she was going to be late. I couldn't help being late. I was delayed. Uh, was there a quarrel, Mr. Bolton? Of course not. Kay was always flying off the handle, but it didn't mean anything. I sent Mac out to the car for the rest of the supplies I'd brought back while I tried to talk her out of it, but uh, I couldn't. I see. Well, thanks for giving your consent to the autopsy, Mr. Bolton. May I answer some very important questions? Carter, Miss Bourne. Hello. Oh, gosh, what a night. I was down at the Blaine garage till 6 o'clock this morning. Oh, did the mechanic find anything suspicious? Well, the car was smashed up pretty bad, but he swears the wreck didn't affect nothing that could have caused the accident. Did he check the steering gear, the brakes? Yeah, and the muffler, too. Nothing had been tampered Hmm. with. And the autopsy showed absolutely no trace of carbon monoxide in her lungs or blood. No other poisonous gas for that matter. And she wasn't drugged, either. I guess we was wrong about Bolton doing it. Maybe she did fall asleep at the wheel. No, I doubt that, Chief. Anyone who was as upset and angry as Sam said Mrs. Bolton was just wouldn't doze off. You still trying to make out it was more than an accident, are you? We're sure it was. Well, now, if Bolton caused that wreck without tampering with the car and without drugging her in any way, he's committed a perfect crime. A murder without a single clue. I wouldn't say that, Chief. Every unexplained fact is a clue. And there are several in this case. Such as what? Well, why was Sam so sure she'd been killed in an auto wreck? Why should her dying words have been about murder for insurance? 
And why was she driving with the heater turned out? Okay, if you're looking for unexplained facts, what about the ice cream? What about it? Well, now, Bolton brought that back from town at 4 o'clock. Uh-huh. And when we were there at 7.30, it was all melted, according to Sam. Oh, well, that's only natural. The housekeeper forgot to put it in the deep freeze. Miss Bowen, we get them five-gallon containers of ice cream for picnics and such and get them early in the morning. And they're still as hard as a rock when we eat supper. My George, that's it. Huh? Huh? Well, what's what? That's what killed Mrs. Bolton. A weapon that vanished into thin air. Vanished? Literally and completely, without leaving a trace. What? And there's no way of proving it, is there? Not unless we can get a confession. Anybody smart enough to think of a scheme like that won't be easily bluffed. Now, Lucato, where would you get a weapon that would vanish that way? At your local creamery, just as Bolton did. Oh, Nick, you're not saying that Mrs. Bolton was murdered with five gallons of ice cream. No. If it wasn't for that ice cream, she'd be alive right now. Oh, Nick. Come on, let's drive out to the farm. Now I've got something to work on. I know, Carter. I carried that container of ice cream into the house from the car without opening it. But Bolton... Yes, McEwen, were you going to say something? Well, uh, only that when I went through the kitchen to get the other things out of the car, I noticed that the seal on the container was broken. Well, I didn't break it. Perhaps the housekeeper... Uh, no, Mr. Bolton, I asked her. She was upstairs at the time. Well, what's the ice cream got to do with it anyway, Mr. Carter? Funny, McEwen. Those five-gallon containers are in two sections. One for the ice cream itself... And one that holds dry ice to keep it from melting. So what? Did you ever notice how drowsy you get in the crowded room with the air stale? Well, sure. That's because the oxygen in the air has been used up. And replaced with carbon dioxide, which people have exhaled. That's what happens when we breathe. Well, come to the point, Carter. All right, I will. When I examined your car just after the wreck, Mr. Bolton, I found a few small pieces of dry ice in the heater. Dry ice is nothing but carbon dioxide in a solid form. The heater of your wife's car, it melted. Fast. And flooded the car with carbon dioxide. And with all the windows closed, it must have been ten times as bad as the most crowded, stuffy room you ever saw. And that's why she went to sleep at the wheel. <laughs> that's fantastic. You think somebody took the dry ice out of that ice cream container and put it in the heater of the car to... To, to, to make her wreck the car and kill herself. Yeah, Mr. Bolton, that's exactly what we think. Then, then it must have been Mac. Why, that's a lie. You went through the kitchen when I left the ice cream and, and then went out to the car for the rest of the things. Uh, you must have opened the package and... Are you accusing me of murdering my own sister? It, it had to be you. Nobody else could have done it. No? Well, uh, who got her to take out that insurance policy? Huh? Who inherits this farm and everything else she owns? That doesn't mean... I don't get anything out of her death, and I don't want to. But you get now, plenty. calm down, I'll Mac. Bet... Calm down. She calm was all down. I had. And he killed her. He killed her. I did not. You did it yourself. And now you're trying all to... Right, all right, all right. Hold it. Hold it. I know how we can find out who put that dry ice in the heater. How? Ask Sam, your hired man. Sam? What would he know about it? He was in the barn from the time you drove in with the ice cream, Mr. Bolton, until your wife left about ten minutes later. Dry ice melts fast, very fast. Be effective, it'd have to be put in sometime during that ten minutes. Sure. You're right, Mr. Carter. Sam must have seen him putting that stuff in the heater. That's why he figured Kay was killed in a wreck. Yeah, maybe he didn't think nothing of it at the time, but afterwards he realized what he saw. And then maybe he figured he could get paid for not talking. Well, he'll talk now. He'll talk or I'll break him in two. All right, no, no, McEwen. You and Bolton will stay here with the chief. Patsy and I will go talk with Sam. And after we do, chief, I think you'll have a new border at the county jail. <laughs> Nick, you didn't really find any dry ease in the heater of that car, did you? Why, of course not, Patsy. I told you I'd have to bluff. Yeah, but if Sam did see something, it won't be a bluff any longer. Oh, yes, it will. He may have seen something, but he couldn't tell what was actually going on inside the car from back in the stalls where he was working. No, no, I guess not. 
Uh, maybe we can use Sam's testimony to frighten the killer into giving himself away. Oh, here, this must be Sam's shack. Uh-huh. He must be here. We know he's nowhere else on the farm. Yeah. Let's see if the door's locked. No, it isn't, Barney. Right. <gasps> oh, Nick, look. They're on the floor. Oh, that's Sam. Nicky, he's dead, isn't he? Yeah. That's the head. Out to be sometime last night. Look around the floor. See if you can find an empty cartridge. Right. He was killed with an automatic. There's a chance the empty shell's on the floor somewhere. Well, if it is, I'll find it. Here's something. What is it? Somebody knelt down beside the body. There's a perfect knee print and a smear of blood. And even see the weave of the material the trousers were made of. A sort of coarse tweed. Nick, I found it. The cartridge shell? Yes, it was under the table. Here. Uh-huh. Now we can really get down to business. Yes, this time we've got a weapon that can't vanish into thin air. <laughs> An empty cartridge case, the first bit of concrete evidence the wife killer has left in a series of five murders. But Nick still faces the problem of proving his guilt. At the farmhouse, Nick and the chief are trying to find the automatic with which Sam Webb, the Bolton's hired hand, was killed. Mac has admitted owning such a gun, and they've gone to his room to get it. There you are, Mr. Carter. But I swear I haven't touched that gun since I came back two weeks ago. Did Bolton know where you kept it, Mac? Well, I don't know, Chief, but it wouldn't have been hard to find. I didn't even know he had a gun. Well, this is a thirty-eight. Sam was killed with a thirty-two. A thirty-two? Then, then Bolton must have used Kay's gun. What are you talking about? Kay didn't own a gun. Why, you're a liar. She had a thirty-two automatic for years, kept at her bedside table, and you know it. That's not true. You can come and look for yourself, Chief. Our room is right across the hall, but you won't find any guns there. Well, don't expect to. Not now. Oh, uh, here's your gun, McEwen. Oh, thanks, Mr. Carter. But, uh, Kay did have a gun. Charlie must have seen it hundreds of times. Don't worry, don't worry. We'll get at the truth. There, look for yourself. Do you see a gun in that drawer? Kay wouldn't have a gun in the house. All right, let's forget about that for a minute. Who owns a tweed suit? A tweed suit, Mr. Carter? Why? We found evidence proving that Sam's killer was wearing a suit of coarse tweed at the time of the murder. You have one? Why, why, no. Neither do I. Where... You shouldn't have said that, Bolton. I've seen you wearing a tweed suit a hundred times. Well, I... I did have a tweed suit, but Kay gave it away last week. It was worn out. Who'd she give it to? I I don't know. She didn't say... Why, Bolton, I saw that suit hanging in your closet only yesterday. I'll bet it's there right now. What? What's gone? Naturally. Of course it is. Any fool would know enough to get rid of a piece of evidence like that. I tell you, I haven't had it for over a week. Wait a minute. You went down in the cellar carrying a bundle this morning, Bolton. That was the garbage. Mrs. Lawrence always puts the garbage in a paper bag. The bundle you had was wrapped in newspaper. It was not. It was a paper bag. And then I heard the furnace door. I always burn the garbage in the furnace. You know that. Bolton, suppose we take a look in that furnace and see what else you was burning. Here's another scrap of tweed that didn't burn. That's part of your suit, ain't it, Bolton? Yes, but I didn't put it there. Mac did it. He's raving me. Oh, sure, sure. He is, I tell you. Everything you found could have been done by him, couldn't it? He could have put that dry ice in the car heater as well as me. He could have shot Sam and put that suit in the furnace. And wore the suit to kill Sam, too, I guess. Why, you blame fool. Anybody can see that Mac couldn't get into your clothes the shoehorn. He's twice as big as you are. And I never owned a tweed suit in my life. Anyway, the knee print by Sam's body had exactly the same weave as this tweed that was burned in the furnace. Now, wait a minute. Uh, did you find something else, Nick? Yeah, I did down among the ashes. Look. 
That's it. That's Kay's gun. I never saw that gun before in all my life. Any fingerprints on it, Carter? Afraid not, Chief. The whole outside is burned clean. Yes, but a ballistics test will show if it's the gun that Sam was killed with. Won't it, Nick? Without a doubt. Even if it's the same gun, that doesn't prove anything. Well, here's something that does, Bolton. A perfect set of fingerprints. Prints? Well, I thought you said the gun was burned clean. The outside was, yes. But there's a fine set here in the cartridge clip. I thought they might have been overlooked. That's smart thinking, Carter. Well, how come the cartridges didn't explode in the fire, Nick? The clip's empty, Patsy. Oh. But the prints are nice and clear. They're, they're not my prints. I never saw that gun. Yeah? Well, now, I'll just take that clip over to the county seat and let the fingerprint man there have a look at him. Oh, uh, if you don't mind, Chief, I'd rather take this to the fingerprint lab in the city. Huh? What's the matter with Joe Parker over the county seat? Well, he may be perfectly all right, but... Well, look, let me have my own way, will you, please? I'll stay at the hotel in Elm City tonight, drive into the city tomorrow, and have a report you can depend on before tomorrow evening. Well, okay, keep the blame clip. And you, Bolton, come on. I'm locking you up where you can't get out to commit no more murders. That's the first portion of Nick Carter, Master Detective. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Nick Carter, Master Detective. Who's there? Who's in the room? Who is it? Don't move, Mr. Carter. You're a fine target under that bed lamp. McEwen. What are you doing here? I came to get something that belongs to me. That clip with the fingerprints on it. What? Those are your prints. Bolton was telling the truth. You killed Sam. Sure I did. Couldn't let him tell about seeing me put that dry ice in the heater of Kay's car, could I? He said he had been in the barn at the time. I had to get rid of him. And all the evidence against Bolton. You planted it yourself. Why not? Somebody had to be the patsy. I could see you suspected him already. Nobody knew I had that thirty-two, So I said it belonged to Kay. And who can prove that it didn't? And you planted it in the furnace for us to find, together with a tweed suit. <laughs> sure. That suit was the smartest part of the whole frame-up. Kay gave it to Sam. It was hanging right there in front of me when I shot him. But you couldn't have worn it. It was too small for you. No. But I could wrap it around my knee and then make a print in that bloodstain, couldn't I? Didn't tell you I saw Bolton trying to burn it. You thought of everything, didn't you? Everything but that cartridge clip with my fingerprints on it. Where is it, Carter? Or do I put a bullet in your head? All right, you win. It's in the left-hand top dresser drawer, wrapped in a handkerchief. Yeah? Thanks for making it easy. First, we'll wipe these prints out. Then, Mr. Carter, I'm afraid I'll have to get rid of you. And I hold on, McEwen. You've destroyed the proof against you, and I let her go at that. I can't let you talk about this little visit. Look, McEwen, don't... Shut up! I said I was going to get rid of you, and I am. So... In Nick's hotel room, he faces a killer with a gun who says... I said I was going to get rid of you, and I am. So... Oh! Oh! You had a gun all the time. Under the bedclothes. Sorry, Mac. I tried to warn you. Nick! Nick, are you all right? I'm okay, Patsy. But our friend here is a bullet in his arm. Come on in. Put her all down a shorthand, Nick. The microphone picked up every word he said. You mean this was a trap? You bet it was. 
Yeah, I expected you to come for that cartridge clip. If my gun hadn't jammed... It didn't jam. I took all the bullets out of it when I examined it out at the farmhouse today. But I couldn't be sure you hadn't discovered that and reloaded it, so I had to shoot first. What's the matter in there? Who fired that gun? What's going on? Everything's under control. Call the chief of police, will you? Sure, Mr. Carter, sure. I'll get him here in two shakes. Where's your proof, Carter? My fingerprints aren't on the cartridge clip anymore. Your confession before two witnesses is proof enough, McEwen. And as for those fingerprints, I was bluffing you. Why, you... So far as I know, there weren't any prints on that clip. Nick, how did you know Wayne McEwen killed his sister and Sam Webb? Well, I was pretty sure of it from the moment we found out how McEwen's sister was killed. Oh, you mean the dry ice and the heater of a car? Yes, Patsy. The killer would know that an autopsy would reveal absolutely nothing. He'd be anxious to have one performed in order to build up his own innocence. Sure he would, and Mac was the one who wanted it. Well, that's right. Bolton only threw suspicion on himself by opposing it. A guilty man would never have done that. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, every bit of evidence we had against Bolton came directly from McEwen. Uh-huh. Chief, did you find out why he killed his sister? Yeah, he told us all about it at the jailhouse. Seems his bridge-building business ain't been so good these last few years, so McEwen drummed up a sideline of getting married and then killing off his wives for their insurance. Oh, then he was the one Mrs. Bolton was talking about just before she died. Right, Patsy. How'd she ever find out about this? McEwen says she was cleaning up his room the day before she was killed, and she came across some of his private papers that he'd forgotten to put away. Uh-huh. She didn't know he'd been married at all, so when she found a marriage certificate, she got curious. Oh. And what she found in the rest of the stuff gave her a pretty good idea of what had been going on. Then that night she accused him of killing the two girls, and he admitted it. When he asked her what she was going to do about it, she said she hadn't made up her mind. Well, if I'd been in her place, I'd have turned him over to the police. Oh, she wanted to, Miss Bowen, but he was her only brother, and she couldn't quite make up her mind to do it. But Mm -hmm. Mac didn't dare to take any chances, so he killed her. Yeah, he was pretty clever about it, too. He almost got away with it. Yeah, but when he killed Sam, he outsmarted himself. Well, you know the old saying, Nick. Give a killer enough rope, and he'll hang himself. So he will, Patsy. So he will. Every time. Well, Nick, that's the last of them. Okay, Patsy, that's all for now. You better go home and change. Remember, we're meeting Bill and his wife at 7.30 for dinner. Well, how about after dinner? I want to know how to dress. Well, Bill said something about taking in an amusement park and ending up with a boat ride on the river in the morning. Oh, hold on. Take it easy, Carter. For heaven's sake, Patsy. Mm, amusement park, boat rides, redheads, penicillin. Okay, I get it. I don't want to end up at the bottom of the river just because the ticket seller was a beautiful redhead who posed as a mouse. Hey, hold on, Patsy. Let's tell about that adventure next week. We'll call it The Case of the Purloin Penicillin. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented each week at this same time by the Cudahy Packing Company. It is produced and directed by Jock McGregor and is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications Incorporated. Lon Clark is starred as Nick and Charlotte Manson is featured as Patsy. Today's script was written by Jim Parsons with original music played by Henry Silburn. This program is fictional and any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. This is Michael Fitzmaurice saying, when minutes count, use new, wonderful old Dutch cleanser. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. And that's Nick Carter, Master Detective with the Case of the Vanishing Weapon, starring Lon Clark from September 18, 1949. That was originally sponsored by Old Dutch Cleanser. Is that around anymore, Lisa? Do you know? 
like Ajax or Old Dutch Cleanser. I think I, that it is. I actually think it is. I can picture it. Yeah. I can picture the, their little icon. Yeah, I think it is I still around. Before we tune into the great Gildersleeve, I want to show you this. Look, look, everybody. Oh, the new Remind. Yeah, the newest issue of Remind Magazine. And this is the April issue. And look who's on the cover. It's me. Oh, wow. Yeah, Tom You look a little Selleck. like Tom Cruise there, No, it's too. Tom Selleck. No, I know, but yeah, you kind of oh. look like Tom Cruise, Tom Selleck. <laughs> yeah. It's all the same. This issue is all about stars and their cars. Oh. So uh, it's Tom Selleck there as Magnum P.I. Of course, he drove a Ferrari. And then you have Elvis Presley with Anne Margaret there. You have the Dukes of Hazard car. You have the Grease car. You have all kinds of fun stuff. There's, look, Jane Mansfield with her car. And then uh, I wrote an article about Jack Benny and his Maxwell, you uh-huh. know, his uh, clunky old Maxwell car that Mel Blanc did the vocal sounds yeah. for. If you don't know about Remind Magazine, you're really missing out because it's a, a great 8x10 magazine, about 70 pages, full color. It comes out every month. And you, if you like nostalgia, will absolutely love it. If you're listening to this radio show, you'll love Remind Magazine. It's the perfect sponsor for us. Just go to their website, remindmagazine.com. If you want to pick up an issue, you can do so at any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store across the country. Got about a million subscribers to this magazine. This is a first-class magazine, Remind Magazine. You'll absolutely love it. Go to their website, remindmagazine.com. If you subscribe there, you'll save about 60% off the newsstand price. Check out RemindMagazine.com. All right, it's time for the Great Gildersleeve. This is from June 7, 1942. It's called The Sneezes, and it stars Harold Perry, part one of The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. For the past few days, our friend Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve has been the victim of a baffling attack of the sneezes, and so far he hasn't found out the cause. Could it be some allergy, or is his mustache starting to back up on him? Come on, let's visit the Great Gildersleeve and find out. And as I was saying, Marjorie, every time I, 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 I... Gesundheit. Eh, don't mention it. Every time you what, Uncle Mort? Every time I, I, I... A button pops off my vest. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, you bet. I'm on my fourth vest now. Yeah, and that last sneeze broke both your shoelaces. Yeah? Oh, well, I've got to find some way of stopping this sneezing before I blow my blains out. Oh, I didn't do it that time. Because <laughs> I'm dying. Yeah, well, no. you don't have to mention it. <laughs> no, Uncle Mort, I really think you should see a doctor. Now, this may be something serious. Sure, whatever it is, it's nothing to be sneezed at. Then why am I sneezing? Well, there must be something you're allergic to. Yeah, I know it. I'm allergic to sneezing. No, Uncle, something else is wrong. Now, why don't you go right downtown and see Dr. DePeister? Yeah, who in the name of the Mayo Brothers is Dr. DePeister? Well, I understand he's wonderful. Allergies are his specialty. Oh, you mean he's an anti-sneeze man? <laughs> yes. Florence Foreman told me he cured her. Found she was allergic to gasoline, so she sold her car. It, wasn't that a little drastic? Uh, oh, no. 
After she got Dr. DePeister's bill, she had to anyway. <laughs> well, I hate to blow in a lot of money on my nose, Marjorie. <laughs> You know that little kitty of yours? Ah, oh, you mean my itty-bitty pity kitty? Itty-bitty all for corn's sake. Yep. <laughs> What's he been up to now, Bertie? It's that sweater you making for that ensign in the Navy on account of he gave you that pussycat. Don't tell me you found that. Yes'm, the kitten got into knitting. <laughs> oh, that's a shame, Marjorie. What did he try to do, pull the wool over his eyes? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on him it don't look good. <laughs> Did he do much damage, Bertie? Just look here. I brought the sweater in. What sweater? That thing is more snarls in a cage full of tigers. Why, it's... He... Uh... Oh... It's what, Uncle? It's a... Uh, you! <laughs> Gee, Uncle, that one made the windows rattle. The windows, eh? Good. I thought it was my teeth. <laughs> really, Uncle Mort, you must go downtown and see Dr. DePice. Oh, nonsense, Marjorie. Why should I let a trivial... You... You... Help... Well, maybe someday to... Oh, Come on, what are we waiting for? Where is that doctor? But Marjorie, I haven't sneezed once since we left home. Just my luck. When the doctor asks me how I do it, I won't be able to show him. Oh, now sit down, Uncle. Relax and look at a magazine. Magazine? Oh, all right. There's an article of a National Geographic for May 1916. I never did finish. <laughs> Uncle, you won't find that here. Why not? This is a doctor's office, isn't it? Yes, but this is a young doctor. Makes no difference, my dear. When a boy decides on a medical career, what's the first thing he does? I don't know. What? He starts saving magazines. <laughs> That's one of the reasons he has to be an intern so long. <laughs> Just to age his National Geographics. <laughs> oh, Uncle. <laughs> Why do they always have the National Geographic? Well, it's all about faraway places. Anybody who sits in a doctor's office would rather be someplace far away. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Are you Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, yes. Well, the doctor will see you now. This way, please. Uh, what's he so cheerful about? <laughs> the way she chirped, she'd make Florence Nightingale sound like a mudlark. Now, you go right ahead, Uncle Moore. Well, all right, my dear, but I'm feeling dandy now. Oh, this is Mr. Gildersleeve, Doctor. How do you do, uh, Gildersleeve? Gildersleeve. Any relation to Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve? Oh, yes. That's me. Oh, it is. Well, now, where'd I hear that name before? I phoned you an hour ago. That's where I heard it. <laughs> I never forget a face. Uh, what seems to be your trouble? Uh, sneezing. Oh, you're having trouble sneezing? Oh, no, I'm not having trouble sneezing. I'm having trouble sneezing. For the past four or five days, that's all I've been doing. Yeah, monotonous, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I'm starting to get a permanent wave in my nose. Every morning I get up and sneeze all the cornflakes out of my bowl. Uh, I know what'll cure that. What was that? I say I know what'll cure that. What? Oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you better remove your clothes, please. Right. And while you're doing that, I'll ask you a few questions. Yeah. Uh, does anything you eat make your eyes water? Yeah, raw onions. <laughs> Any food cause violent sneezing? Well, black pepper does. Any favorite dish that causes spots to appear on you? Oh, yes, yes. I get spots from soft-boiled eggs. From eggs? Where? On my necktie. <laughs> but really, Doctor, I, I wish you could see me sneeze. My eyes pop out so far, it looks like I'm going to expel the pupils. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, suppose you show me how you do it. I can't. I haven't sneezed once since I left home. 
Most interesting. Eliminates one type of allergy that's very difficult to cure. Uh, what's that? Uh, the auto-infectious variety, when a person's allergic to himself. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I couldn't have that. I like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Your trouble seems to be localized somewhere at home. Uh, that makes the problem much simpler. Oh, of course. All I have to do is move. Well, goodbye, Doctor. Ah, one second, please. We'll never find the trouble by moving away from it. I don't want to find it. I just want to lose it. Uh, <laughs> then we must conduct a series of tests. And I believe the best place to do that is in your home. Oh. Shouldn't take us long to locate the trouble, not more than a year. Yes, just a year? <laughs> yes, if we're lucky. And now, let me listen to your heart uh, quietly. Yeah, okay. Hmm, you must have a heart of oak. I'd better listen again. It's most interesting. Excuse me, doctor, but somebody's at the door. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Uh, what is it? The time to take your pills, doctor. No, I won't. I hate pills. Go away. <laughs> By the way, doctor, how much is this going to cost? Oh, not much. Just $50 for each series of tests. It, why, that could run up into if five. Oh, my goodness, it could, couldn't it? <laughs> That's true. But if we don't do that, you'll probably sneeze yourself into an early grave. Oh, doctor, how soon are you coming over? Uh, how about Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I'll be waiting for you. Well, I'd better get going now. Oh, no, no, Mr. Gildersleeve. Don't go out that way. Why not? That's the way I came in. Oh, no, you didn't. When you came in, you had your clothes on. What? Oh! <laughs> hey, Piggins, throw me some more nails. Here, Leroy. Gee, we haven't any nails left. What are you going to do when we run out? Oh, we can pull some more at Uncle Mort's tires. Hi, Unc. Oh, hello, Leroy. Uh, hello, Piggy. What did the doctor say, Unc? He said $5, please. Jeepers, Leroy, what's wrong? Unc suffers from the allergics. Yeah. Allergics? What's that? Oh, something rubs his nose the wrong way. <laughs> say, Unc, look what we're building. It, uh, yeah, I see. What's it supposed to be? It's a treehouse for our club, the Young MacArthur's. It, you're putting it in the wrong place, Leroy. You'll never get a MacArthur out on a limb. <laughs> where are you going to put it? Well, as soon as we get it nailed together, we're going to haul it up on that oak where the branches spread. Uh, you know, prefabrication. If, if, oh, well, that's an idea, isn't it? Did you ever have a treehouse, Mr. Gillisleeve? Well, I started to one time. I had a wonderful idea. A log house in a tree. But it didn't work out. Why not, Uncle? Well, we only had one tree in our backyard, and by the time I'd sawed enough logs for the house, there wasn't any tree left to put it in. <laughs> Did you build the house anyway? And, no, my father found out what happened, and... The logs and Pop and I all wound up in the woodshed. Oh, was that the time you wanted to run away and be a sailor and he knocked the tar out of you? If... <laughs> no, Leroy, that was another whaling expedition. Gee, Mr. Gillisley, will you help us build our clubhouse? Oh, of course. I'll pitch right in. Hand me the hammer, Leroy. Thank you. I just love to drive nails. Hey, <laughs> Now watch me and learn, Leroy. Excuse me. Understand now, Leroy? No, I, I don't quite... Oh, but it's so simple. What's troubling you? Well, I'm wondering how you're going to get your necktie off now that you've nailed both ends to the plank. If, what do you mean? <laughs> if I see. Hey, Uncle Mort, is the plank pole straight now? Oh, it's just fine up there, Leroy. Now nail down that little birdhouse. It, Leroy, who's going to deliver mail up in a tree 20 feet off the ground? Okay, it's a birdhouse. Yes. Oh, oh, Leroy! Yes, buddy? I'd like you to come down out of that tree. It's time for lunch. And that reminds me, Mr. Gillsley, Judge Hooker just dropped in. Oh, he did, did he? That old goat always shows up at feeding time. <laughs> Tell him to come out here. 
I want him to see the house we built. Uh, yes, sir. And don't you dinner, Daddy Leroy. Hello, buddy. Gee, <laughs> Uncle, isn't the clubhouse swell? I just finished fixing the secret trapdoor on the roof. A secret trapdoor? Well, I wish I could see it. Must be very cozy inside. I'll say. Yeah, now you go in to lunch. And scrub your hands before you sit down at the table. Okay, but gee whiz, I'll bet Tarzan never has to wash before he eats. Yes, of course not. Tarzan's in hot water all the time. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Hello, Leroy. How are you feeling, Gildersleeve? Still sneezing your brains out, or have you run out of brains? Yes. <laughs> no, Hooker, I haven't run out of brains. Would you like to borrow some? No, no. Wouldn't think of taking your last one. <laughs> What's the big attraction out here? The attraction is that treehouse the kids built. Like to go up there and look at it? No, thanks. I can see it well enough from here. Yeah, they have a secret trap door and a lot of other modern improvements. Come on, come on, let's go. Now, let's quit kidding ourselves, Throckmorton. We're too old to go traipsing up the side of a tree to peek at a packing box. Yeah, speak for yourself, you old foggy. <laughs> foggy! Okay, then you're an old foggy. Yeah. Why, why, you even get out of breath playing checkers. Thank goodness I'm different. Don't kid me, Throckmorton. If you aren't too old, you're too fat. Now forget about it. You're dizzy enough on the ground without climbing trees. Uh, in that case, I guess I'll have to show you, Judge Hooker. Here, hold my coat, Grandpa, and watch a man strut his stuff. Careful, Gildy. You'll get halfway up and then spread your stuff. <laughs> Don't worry about me, Judge. I come from a long line of tree climbers. That may be so, but remember, you haven't any tail. <laughs> if I stand on this box, I think I can reach that limb. Yeah, just watch me, Judge. Come on down from there, Gildersleeve, before you fall on that big fat neck. Just a little rusty, that's all. I never knew I weighed so much. You're building up to a terrible letdown, Humpty Dumpty. Oh, by George, I'm going to make it. And nobody's more surprised than I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, you made it, but you'll never get down again. Say, you ought to be up here, Judge. There's a beautiful view from here. There is? Uh-huh. On a clear day, I can see into every second-story window in the block. <laughs> what are you walking around on the roof for? The door isn't up there. I think it is. Leroy said something about a secret trap door somewhere. Gildersleeve, oh! what happened? I found the trap door. <laughs> you better stop fooling around and come down. That's pretty dangerous. You may be right. I better... Uh-oh. What's wrong now? But I got in here. I should be able to get out. Gildersleeve, what's the trouble? I can't squeeze out of this door. But you just got in. Yeah, but I came in fast, and I'm stuck fast, too. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be one of my bad days. That's the first portion of The Great Gildersleeve, more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve. Then, uh, William Conrad stars in a tale of escape. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you next time.